Welcome to Neighborly. Shula Room. House number 34. Little Street. Grief is a strange thing, isn't it? From what I've heard, the struggle of losing a loved one is not uncommon. There is no comfort in staying in a place where one is gone and you have not. Stuck in a limbo of anger and sadness is a curse for the body. Grief turns into a loop almost, crying over and over for someone to come home. How frustrating to go through. Have you ever seen a trickster cry? His grief could be mistaken for a banshee with the way it echoes in the streets, a grief no holy man can soothe with merry hymns. But enough of that. Perhaps a tale, hmm? House 34 is a green, moss-coloured home, almost the shape of a bookstore with a large window in the middle of it, and a metal railing connected to wooden steps. The yard is riddled with bog rosemary and spring quill, no matter the year or date, it seemed the flowers never rotted or faded. The grass kept cut and clean and the bushes trimmed, the trees a shimmering mass of cornelian leaves, dripping and moist with the rain. A small place, but big enough to hold three people and a cat, maybe. 34, to Manny, is empty inside and looks lonely to those who walk down the little street. A distant murmur and a strange ache, and God bless his soul. Flowers had been left on the steps arranged in the shape of a thistle, and candles had melted the stubs on the railing of 34's porch. But the house is not so empty as it seems. Ugh. It's raining again. Seems to never stop these days. Pitter-patter of rain on top of the tin rooftop. On to the head of brown curls and white skin as a sigh comes out of an empty throat, standing on the porch is a large 47-year-old man, dressed in an old sweater, jeans ripped at the knees, and green slippers. He flicks his fingers at the melted wax, chipping it off. Whoever keeps lighting these dreadful candles will be getting an earful, but now his ire is reserved for the rain. The street is so gloomy, and this is the fourth storm of the month. This rain is a hag on my day, he mumbles as he walks inside. The hallway bears nothing but the staircase and a small mantle, covered in mostly dust and some kind of... playing cards, he thinks. What type of playing card has a man and a dog on it? Unopened boxes litter his home. He'll get to them soon. He did just move in only two days ago. His roommate never showed up. Can't remember the fellow's name. Was it Kralis? Neil? Whatever. This home is silent for the most part. Occasional wind drafts make an echo upstairs, almost like footsteps, and one could have sworn there's a rattling noise in the attic at night. 
but it's still too quiet for James's own taste. The basement is strangely blocked off, but this did not frighten dear old James as much. However, the clock in the hall did cause a bother, always ringing at noon. The sound rattles around in his head. He's been having trouble remembering things. He knows he quit his job four months ago. He remembers Corax, his foul-mouthed friend who claims he's not from the East End of London, but sure sounds like it. Maybe he should call him over to help unpack. He should call his mother as well. He'll have to tell her the truth sooner or later. He missed speaking French with her. He wasn't very smart, nor can he remember what convinced him into a religion he didn't think was real, let alone be in it. But it doesn't stop him from entering the kitchen and making the same soup from yesterday. He never got tired of chopping potatoes and garlic, or the scent of sweet corn from a can as it poured out sluggishly into the scrapped pot. They loved the soup. Always pushed past him and grabbed a mug, poured it in like it was nothing. Who? Who loved this soup? He didn't know. Perhaps Korax, or his mom. Korax ate meat, but always complained when he ate chicken. It doesn't stop him as he opens the cabinets and pulls the bowl out. But the sound of something flapping and something wooden clacking on the floor in the halls startles him into dropping it. He hisses in irritation. Oh, Christ. What did I forget to shut now? Glass crunches under his slippers. His brown eyes tangle into a scowl. Whatever stupid critter that's decided to come in will be thrown out into the streets if he catches it. He throws the broken bowl away, grabbing a new one after lowering the vat from the stove and walked out into the hall. The shadow of a person moves in the walls of the halls. He hears the hissing of, God damn it. James fully expects a person. He isn't scared of being robbed. He's bigger and can handle his own, but he's shocked to find a crow perching on the staircase instead. Had he left the window open? No. He closed it because he didn't want the rain to soak the carpet. Do birds wear glasses? Anything is possible. Some do, I assume, and so does James. Birds are smart and cheeky creatures, smart enough to enter someone's home unannounced, as most friends do. This one carries a little bag on its leg. James has always been fond of birds. He recalled fondly, one stealing the cigarette from his fingers as he sat on the church steps. How do you get in here? He can't remember if he said it or thought about it. It's so small for a crow, but too big to be a wren or any other flying BCCs. A call, and then a voice, whimsical in tone. Uh, yes, I arrived through the mail slot. It's not every day I see such a nice doorway, it says, tilting its head. You're a little freaky thing, James says, staring at the crow. It ruffled its feathers at the comment. And you are like the bottom of a cow, it cries, cackling as it flies around him and then into his kitchen. He follows it like a moth flying towards a flickering light. Wait, don't go in there, he calls nervously. His cooking isn't the best. He'd rather not embarrass himself like this with a guest, animal or not. Ah, corn soup! It squeals in delight on his counter. Oh, is all he can reply. He has no idea what it meant by the bottom of the cow. Maybe he should sit down. 
Oh, soup. Delicious soup. Dear sir, might I have a peck? It asks, stomping on his counter almost as a joyful hop. He has no idea what to do. He really should call Korax. He'd know what to do. Uh, nice little pretty, uh, bird. Please go back outside. His sentence cuts off as he chokes loudly, words caught in his throat when the bird opens his drawers with his foot, grabbing a ladle with its beak, and proceeds to scoop out his dinner from the pot into his bowl. How rude. It's not even fully cooked yet. Breaking bread with friends is very common. What's a better way to share a meal? James swats at the bird with his hands gently. He doesn't want to hurt it, and it laughs so, so loudly, almost like something crackling in a fire. Gonna not day that, you cheeky brat. Put down my ladle or I'll add you to the pot, he barks as he scoops the crow up and gently chucks it onto the table, like throwing a hen back into its coop. A caw again as it hops up and down. Its little claws would leave scratches, and James does not want to repaint that table again. It took seven hours last time as he couldn't hold the brush very well. Soup! Soup! I want soup! It cries, and James sighs. Number one, brat, it's not fully cooked. And number two, that's my bowl, which is too big for you. He says, arms crossed as he glares at the crow. True, I admit, but you have no small plates or cups and I would like potatoes, the bird says and flies to sit on James's shoulder. He can't be bothered to swat at it. And number three, I am no fan of guests who won't even hand their name over to me. A simple courtship of introduction is required by Manny. I personally wouldn't share these things with strangers, but... Birds of a feather can be so familiar, like a clock striking to eleven. Yes, my apologies. I am Cornelius Blackbird, at your service, dear man, it says. James sighs but laughs to himself. All right, Corny. I'm Jonathan Wilson Robertson, but my mum and friends call me James, he said. He was unsure if his last name is Robertson, or if his first is actually Jonathan, but it's close enough. He couldn't hold himself from laughing as the bird puffed up again. Do not call me corny, you humans and your stupid words. It is Cornelius. Say it, it sneers. Oh, what are you going to do? Quote the raven nevermore at me? James asks as he shakes with soft laughter. The creature I've taken the form of is a crow. Human men are morons. I myself am a man just as you are, but you're very stupid. Cornelius huffs. Yeah, I am a bit stupid. I'm really good at stacking Benson and hedges like cards, though. Makes me smart for something, James says, rubbing the back of his neck. It's true, in a way, he's not the smartest of his family. That's why he loved being Korax's friend so much. The man's just as stupid as he is, stupid and mean. James doesn't blow up in a rage like Korax does. Korax quit his job at the pub they once drank at because, well, he can't remember what. Two jobless fellows. But James quit his only job because he was scared. Of being that thing. Nothing wrong with that, but how would his mum view him for it? Never met anyone else like him. He's liked people the same as him, he doesn't deny it. Quit his job and ran away, all because he kissed a fellow. These violent delights have violent ends, and in their triumph die like fire and powder, which as they kiss, consume. You're quite well with painting. I only jest, sir, when I say you are stupid. Do not doubt your own mind. You are skillful with a paintbrush. Now, turn your stove on and finish this soup. Actually, allow me. It's missing an ingredient. Cornelius pecks at the small bag tied to him, drops it in James's hand, and hops off the man's shoulder. James doesn't even question when the bird shifts? Turns? He has no idea what the word would be. 
One second there is a crow, and the next there is a small, skinny-looking, handsome man, dark-skinned and adorned with a strange outfit. It reminds James of those Victorian dandy men, complete with a fancy walking cane. His appearance makes James feel like a tomato from his mum's garden. The man leans on the strange cane with his left hand. Perhaps the word is... transmute. Morph? Shifting to fit in with men who can't help but stare you down. But out of jealousy or fear, you cannot tell. You're eaten, swallowed and starved, and spit out, all in one, with the way men look at you. Wait, how do you know I paint? James stutters out. Sure, he has a few paintings of some flowers, and, well, the portrait of a very handsome man, in his opinion, with long hair and glasses, ruffled by a stark skin, gorgeous all around, really. But how can anyone tell it was his work? He hadn't even signed it. I have a fine eye for little details, Cornelius says from his kitchen, above the sound of the stove turning back on, and the clacking of shoes. Painting, for Manny, is an echo of what we cannot reveal to ourselves, whether it be beings we love or the realisation we might be something else. It's not a straight line for what it could be. James swallows the lump in his throat, face hot in embarrassment. But it's strangely nice to have someone acknowledge small things. That, and this is my old house. I was visiting the neighbourhood and wanted to see what young college student took over it. I was a bit shaken when I saw an actual adult living here, though the sweater makes me think otherwise, Cornelius says, shaking what James thought was cheese into the pot. He hadn't even bought cheese, but one does not have time to question everything. Wait, his home. James had never considered the idea of who lived here before him. Maybe he could ask about the attic and the basement. Oh, you're the original owner. Wait, what's wrong with my sweater? Nirvana's a cool band, James persists. Yes, it is cool. If you're thirteen-year-old with a grunge face, Cornelius gags out, grabbing the ladle and stirring the contents of James's pot. James can't help but stare at him like he said something crazy. A common debate of interest among friends to pick and ponder each other. You're very brave for a man who looks like a fancy bowl of fruit, James sneers. He towers over Cornelius. The shorter man gasps in offence, standing up on the tippy-toes of his shoes in an attempt to get in James's face. James can't help but smile at the attempt to be menacing. It's almost as if he's talking to a friend. Well, the man does look a little bit like Korax. Nearly identical in the face, honestly. How odd. You awful man! I dress very nicely and fashionable because I am a gentleman. It wouldn't kill you to wear a cravat or ascot once in a while, Cornelia shrills. An ascot? Aye, I didn't realise I was a man setting traps with a talking dog, James barks out. The two stare at each other in silence before laughing, popcorn against a heavy rumble, like a pot of soup in a fireplace. Ah, uh, what a strange thing to say in jest. I find it very funny, so I suppose you win this battle of insults and gambles of who has. Who has? Jesus, you're a weirdo, James says. Well, you know what they say. The weird ones stick together. It's true, in a way. Whatever you might consider a weirdo, whether it be you or someone else, the strange ones somehow find each other and make something. Not always good, nor always bad. Just like ghosts, creating things many wouldn't consider till you show them it. Do you have any bread in the cabinets? Soup isn't meant to be eaten without something to dip. I'd ask if you had champ, but something tells me you don't really enjoy mashed potatoes much. I don't. The texture is awful, and... <laughs> don't laugh. All I've got is bap rolls in the fridge. 
James winces as he watches Cornelius's face twist into a mix of disgust and something I cannot even describe. In the fridge? <laughs> Could have just said you had bat rolls enough to that. Keep your crimes to yourself, the small man cringes as he replies. <sighs> Never keep your bread in the fridge. The starch molecules in bread recrystallize very quickly at cool temperatures and cause the bread to stale much faster when refrigerated. I bought them yesterday, it's fine, James says, leaning on the counter watching as his new friend rolls his eyes, not attempting to hide his smile. Soup done? he asks. Almost. Get a tray and throw your cold crime rolls in the oven, Cornelius says as he puts a lid on top of the pot. James has no idea where Cornelius got the lid, but it doesn't stop James from doing what he's told. He has questions about the house. About Cornelius. Very much more about Cornelius. So, I've got questions about the house, correct? A small man interrupts him, almost knowing what he wanted to say. James turns red in the face again over it. Yeah, but also about you. Are you human? Sorry, that sounded crap to say, James mumbles. No, no. Curiosity is not always a bad thing. To answer what you seek, I simply turn into a bird because I don't own a car and I hate the bus and train, Cornelius says with a straight face. You... you turn into a bird because you don't have a car? James echoes, gobsmacked. The sound of snorting and a popcorn laugh echoes in the kitchen. Cornelius shakes as he wheezes. James glares at Cornelius as he sits at the table in the kitchen, next to the window that echoes the pitter-patting rhyme from the rain. He's bright red from embarrassment. He can't believe he's fallen into such a trap. Sorry, I had to crackle with you just a little bit, but I am that merry wonder of the night that answers all you seek of me. I'm human, as many can be, for I am an honest puck, laughs Cornelius. You're really cryptic, you know. I've got more questions, but I guess I can start with the basics. Um, what do you do for a living? What's the cane for? I injured my leg in my youth. I spend most of my days with crutches as a lad, but the cane is simply to help with my balance. He pauses before continuing. I own a shop. I sell trinkets. I also read tarot mostly, and sell a few plants and vegetables at the farmer's market as well. I've got a fine eye for business, I suppose. What's the shop's name? James asks. The shop's name is, well, it's written in Gaelic. Most of it is, but only those who speak it can see it. Anyone else just sees strange jay trinkets. What's the actual title? He persists. Curiousness is a common thing among men, wanting to know everything, yet knowing nothing. It's called the Robinson's Cray, Cornelius says, staring at him with such a strange gaze. It's filled with what one could supposedly call warmth, an uncommon look in James's life. There's a fondness from his mum and friends, but never warmth. Cray means clay in Gaelic, James says. He remembers his father writing letters in it. It was what his father had labelled his pottery room. The Cray. My husband told me it can also mean creed, a common trope among us Robinsons, Cornelius says with a smile. You're married to a man? You can do that? James asks, standing up abruptly from the table, but sits back down. Anxiety ticks in his chest. He hoped he didn't sound rude. You can do many things, if you're not afraid to approach it. I met my husband in an era where it wasn't allowed, but a paper stating we were legal has no importance to me. My ring and my vows do, Cornelius says with a smile. Oh, that's nice. How is your husband? 
James says quietly with a grin. Cornelius' smile turns into something James cannot describe. A chill raises up his spine and leaves goosebumps on his skin when he gets an answer he isn't expecting. Ah, my dear. He was murdered. Oh, soup's done. Bread must be as well, the man replies, standing up from the table as if he said nothing at all. James's ears ring as he watches Cornelius turn off his stove. The click of the gas is no comfort to him, nor the clink of bowls as salt water threatens to leak from him. It's not his death, but he will mourn, as Cornelius is just as lonely as he is. A priest can sing hymns to soothe an ache and tell the masses not to cry. An infidel will break bread with another, waste wine and grieve in the rivers of Achilles. You'll grip someone's t-shirt and hope all the broken ones born in July know about the dog days of your lost youth. The shattering of us. James, where do you carry the spoons? Cornelius's voice swims through the upset tides of James's grief. A shaky hand points to the drawer's bottom left, and he hears the sliding and two clacks of metal and then the closing of the drawer. Cornelius sits the bowl of soup in front of James, bread laid on a cloth he's pretty sure he doesn't own at all. His face is all twisted up. He can't help it. You seem unfortunately distressed. I assume you do not handle the discussion of death very well, do you, James? He asks gently, perhaps to soothe him from the overwhelming reaction he's not sure. I didn't want to ask why you left this house, but I've connected the pieces. I'm sorry, James croaks out. The basement was the workshop. Robinson's Cray was supposed to be something we opened together, Cornelius says. I'm sorry. I shouldn't have said anything. James is cut off when a hand lays itself on top of him. He can't help but stare at Cornelius's face. Stop, Cornelius says quietly. My husband died. I couldn't stand living here without him. It was like drowning in a river. I was so angry at the world for stealing him that I just boxed all of our things up in the basement, locked it off, and left this house with nothing but my clothes and a fistful of euro. Ended up opening the shop. God, that's a hag on your day, isn't it? Can I ask how he... James pauses. I can't fully explain it. His hand was in mine, and I made the mistake of looking back at him. He was gone right then, Cornelius says, staring down at his bowl, small droplets of his own tears falling into it. The loss of a loved one is a painful act, stumbling in the dark each night to find their figure next to you, only to realize they sleep in the ground somewhere. Not everyone is ready to follow the rabbit down the hole. Oh, Christ, don't cry. It wasn't your fault. James says softly, and doesn't hesitate to wipe his thumb gently across the man's face. It was my fault. If I hadn't made them angry, maybe he could have lived. I had to bury an empty casket because they stole his body from me, the man sniffles. People are monsters, and I'm sure even if he had lived, he wouldn't blame you for what happened. I don't think he does even now. Had you been my husband, I wouldn't have blamed you, James assures. Cornelius stares at him with such warmth and grief. Do you really think you wouldn't blame me? The man asks, in a way that makes James soften up. No, I, I don't think he would have, James muttered. No hesitation to put his hand on top of the others. It runs a shiver down James's spine to touch warm skin. I feel awful for not wanting to let him go. My husband deserves the right to rest, Cornelius mumbles, looking down at his lap. And so do you. Both of you get the right to rest, James says softly. I've seen many odd things, yet a dead friend 
comforting me somehow hasn't made it onto the list. What? Oh, nothing. Slip of the tongue, dearest. Afraid I must take my leave, he says. And so he did. James walked him to the door, wishing his new friend well. He watched his black curls disappear from view. It was not fun being lonely. Ugh. Damn clock, James mutters as it rings, staring at it. The sound is off-putting, frightens him in a way he cannot describe. Ah, uh, perhaps this is the end of the tale, oh? He's walking back to the house. I can't let you stay in a loop like this, it's cruel. Forgive me, James, he says, before smashing the clock in the hall with his cane. What in the world? Corn, what are you doing? James jumps back as he watches glass spit all over the place. James, you're a ghost stuck reliving the same memory. I cannot watch it any longer. That clock resets you into a loop. What? James says. Leave this house. Outside. Now. The man says, grabbing his hand and dragging him out the door onto the sidewalk. Little Street is suddenly bustling despite the late hour. Ghost? How am I a ghost? He asks, terrified and confused. Scream, scream as loudly as you can, Cornelius commands, and so James does. No. What? He stumbles words out, with not even a look towards him from people as they rush past on the streets. James, your hands are cold. Think about it, please. You were my friend for many years, and today you didn't even know who I was, the man begs. Am I really dead? James asks. In a way, he knows he is, but he wants the answer from Cornelius's mouth. The comfort of a strange tone. At least he won't be crying again. I'm afraid so, the man says, sniffling. Does my mom know? My friends? Did you know we, we were friends? How long? He put his hand out towards James. How long have I been gone? He asked quietly, taking Cornelius's hand. It's warm. The grip is gentle as Cornelius steps down with him. James doesn't know where the umbrella came from, but it's pushed into his hand. Take a walk with me? A gentle wind from the rain pushes itself through dark curls on both heads. Little Street is suddenly empty. Everyone in their houses is dry and warm. He doesn't answer James's question about how long he's been gone. Can anyone see me? I just happen to have a fine eye for things. It brings me luck. I'm unsure if anyone else can see you. Was I... lonely? He asks. You were married to a man. Happy as can be, you had a child, lovely thing, born on Christmas. James pauses. Married to a man? Did we adopt? Afraid not. Your husband did not enjoy his pregnancy much, though I don't blame him. All that moving around and the swelling is hell. What's my son like? Or or daughter? I'm unsure. The term daughter fits just fine. But your daughter is a they, sometimes a she, and recently has adored being a he the most, alongside being a they. James is not familiar with the concept of being a they. He understands being gay, and that being trans is very much a thing considering his husband, who he can't remember but he knows he loves. He loves his daughter, and death does not change that. His daughter is a they, and a he, and a she, and he loves that. What's he like? My daughter, James asks. A bright star in the sky. However, doesn't listen to his father when he says to stop going in the rain with a wooden prosthetic, he hoves. Prosthetic? Complications with her birth and led to the removal of a leg. 
I try to get her into a proper one, but she insists on a wooden one, one I have to either fix or replace. But I have no right to tell her she can't have one she prefers the most. Cornelia sighs with frustration. Oh, do you help my husband a lot? James asks. Cornelius pauses, eyes wide, but straightens his face and nods, before walking him towards what he thinks is a circle of mushrooms. Cornelius steps into it and pauses. Toad, sit on stools and croak out a song for you. I could whisk you away if you wanted, take you to a place with gentle company. You'd never be lonely again. There would be treasures and whatever your heart desires, even your frigid bat rolls if you wanted. All you have to do is step into the circle with me, here and now. Will my husband be there? My child? James asked quietly, sniffling a bit. I'm afraid not. It's not sustainable for your daughter to live in such a space, but your husband... Don't worry, he'll be there. Will I get to see you again? James questions. Always, I... Care for you, most ardently, James. Cornelia says with a smile. James grabs his hand and steps into the circle with him. I suppose this is goodbye for now, James says. Everything feels like it's falling away like snow. It is. Goodbye, my blue jay with a robin in his title. May I see you again. It's almost like thunder struck James on the head. Crow, he croaks out, and he's gone. It's just Cornelius now, and once again the house is empty as it seems. Cornelius goes home, but not alone. In his pocket rests a familiar picture. So good night unto you all. Give me your hands if we be friends, and Robin shall restore amends. Dad, is that a new painting? Magpie asks as she steps into Cornelius's view. Yes, but it's special. It's your father, James Robinson, my Eurydice, he says, tucking the painting on top of the shelf. What a happy little family. Neighbourly is distributed under a Creative Commons Attribution Sharealike 4.0 international license. Today's house was written by Gerard Wahaya Hassan, with dialogue editing by Kit Robson, soundscaping by Matthew O.K. Smith, music by Alex Schwartz, and art by Cloudy Appelart. The narrator is voiced by Matthew O.K. Smith. To find out more, visit neighbourlypod.card.co or follow us on social media at neighbourlypod. If you enjoyed listening today, information on how you can support us will be included in the episode description. Most of all, we would appreciate it if you told a friend, because they might tell a friend and they might tell a friend and who knows eventually god might finally listen to us today's boxed lunch is peas apple slices newt eyes and a lamb's heart ew peas thanks for listening come back soon